Hi, my name is Michael Davidson, and here's what's going on at Abundant Life. Get ready for the Global Leadership Summit, which takes place on Thursday, August 9th, and Friday, August 10th, right here at ALCF via satellite. This year's theme is Everyone Has Influence, which ties nicely to ALCF's goal of equipping you to positively influence others in your community and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And any place is the right place, whether it's at home, on the job, at school, or at church. You have a great opportunity to share your personal testimony, influence others, and help lead them towards a new walk with the Lord. This year's event includes 14 summit faculty from the business, religious, and nonprofit sectors, including T.D. Jakes, Sheila Heen, Danny Meyer, and Carla Harris, just to name a few. Make plans to join the ALCF family along with over 400,000 Christians in more than 135 countries and experience a unique blend of vision, inspiration, and practical skills that you can apply immediately. To sign up or to serve, go to alcf.net slash gls18 and use a special rate priority code for regular ALCF attendees. And speaking of making a positive impact, from July 8th through the 13th, Joni and Friends Bay Area is holding its annual family retreat for families affected by disability at Mission Springs 2 in Scotts Valley. The event is a great opportunity to provide a week of respite for the entire family. To learn more about serving as a short-term missionary, go to joniandfriends.org slash bayarea, contact Jason Rice at jrice at joniandfriends.org, or call 925-361-8672. Volunteer training is July 8th and 9th, and the cost is $450, which covers accommodations and food. Most people are willing to put effort into something that means a lot to them, like tending a beloved garden, you love it, so you're likely to work at it, right? Marriage is the same way, and thankfully, there are many tools that can be used to help stay connected with your spouse. Let's unpack some of these tools over dinner, dessert, and some great fellowship at the next couple's night out. Tools for your marriage toolbox. The event takes place on Saturday, July 21st from 5.30 to 8 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. The cost is $40 per couple, child care is provided, and pre-registration is required. Sign up today at alcf.net slash signups or through the ALCF app. On Sunday, July 22nd at 1145 a.m., you'll have a great opportunity to reach out to our neighboring communities with the love of Jesus by preparing food, clothing, and toiletry packages in ALCF's kitchen. Then, going out and ministering to those living on the streets or temporarily residing at the First Step Family Shelter. And no, we didn't forget about our young adults. If you're 18 to 30-ish and looking to go deeper in your walk with a community of young adult believers, or if you're not a believer but would like to learn about God's plan for your life, Join our young adults group on the second and fourth Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. in the chapel. 
or after service on the first and third Sundays in room three. You'll have a chance to hang out in a relaxed environment filled with games, events, speakers, informal discussions, and much more. Now, these are just some of the upcoming events and activities. But to stay connected to everything ALCF, check out our website, app, bi-weekly emails, newsletter, and social media. And remember, at ALCF, our goal is to make a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Or, as we like to say around here, abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world. Uh, I am so excited as we're on vacation to know that today you're going to be hearing the word from uh, Sanjay Poonin. In fact, Sanjay is really the main person the Lord used to get our family here to abundant life. I mean, if you are familiar with that story, he reached out to me once on a social media platform, and that just started the ball rolling. And the next thing I know, God had called our family to be here and to serve you all. Uh, I love Sanjay. Uh, Sanjay is a godly man committed deeply to his family and the Word of God. But at the same time, Sanjay is being used greatly of God as he is the chief operating officer of the world's fourth largest tech company. I hope I'm right by that, Sanjay. Uh, but God has used him greatly. Uh, it's been a joy to see him walk in the marketplace with absolute integrity. And so this morning, I, I want you to know you're hearing not from ordained clergy, but really from how the church started out. The church started out not with seminary people, but with people who were in the marketplace who loved Jesus, were committed to the Word of God, and shared that Word with other people. And that's what we have in Sanjay Poonin. So would you please put your hands together and prepare to receive the ministry from my dear friend, Sanjay Poonin. Morning, Abundant Life. Praise God. I give God all the glory. Thank you, Pastor Brian and Arshel and the elders and pastors for that warm welcome. For those of you who were expecting Zach Poonin on stage, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> but thank you for your warm hospitality to him last week. Um, you know, about 20 years ago, uh, my dad was in the Bay Area and I set up a lunch with a certain pastor and I just said, you know, let's have lunch together and through the course of the lunch, they sort of hit it off, and at the end of the lunch, uh, the pastor said, you know, I'm out of town this weekend, um, but I sense the Lord's really been using you in India. Would you mind coming and preaching at my church? I don't know you, but I trust the Lord has led this conversation a good way. Um, and that pastor was Pastor Paul Shepard, and that church was Abundant Life 20 years ago. And... Uh, Paul wasn't, Pastor Paul wasn't there the next morning, um, but his wife was there, Sister Meredith. And she took, you know, she'd always sit up in front, took notes and told her husband, you need to make sure he's here as often as you're out of town in the summer. My <laughs> so that began that friendship with Abundant Life. And as Brian talked about three years ago, um, I was, you know, I liked listening to a number of messages on YouTube and was checking out various different messages. And I met this dynamic uh, young man on YouTube that um, felt like a younger version of Paul Shepard. Different, but sort of similar. And I sent the message to a couple of the elders and said, you know, let's, 
see if we can. No, no in, um, agenda there other than if he was in town, um, you know, we were in, going through a different season, as you know, in this church in 2015. And um, um, he came and preached October 2015. I remember that vividly. Uh, the, and there was no agenda other than fellowship, a connection. We didn't have anything other than saying, Lord, if we can connect with godly men who can guide us. Um, and then what led over the course of the next couple of months was what was talked about. And that man was Pastor Brian. And we praise God for that. So the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I am just grateful. Um, I love this church. I've been here 20 years. I met my wife here. Uh, about 14 years ago, we've been married 13 years, and I am so grateful. Um, there are many churches in the Bay Area, but I will tell you, you will find very few that are both diverse and Bible-loving. When you get to heaven, you'll look around, and you're not going to find everybody of the same race, unfortunately, if you were expecting that. It says many nations and many races will be there, right? So you'll look around and you'll see African-Americans and Caucasians and Latinos and Chinese-Americans and Korean-Americans and maybe a few of us Indians too. Okay? That's sort of, by the way, what this church looks like. About 40% African-American, Caucasian, Chinese-American, African. There's a few of us Indians too. You'll find us here and there. But that's because in India, it's 1.2 billion people, but 98% of that country is non-Christian. So if you've met 100 Indians... Two of them are likely Christian. Okay? So if God can do a work in that country, as you heard from my dad last week, and I just praise God for his uh, testimony um, over the course of the uh, 40 years and 50 years. We give God the glory. Next year he will turn 80. I remember Pastor Paul in the early days would say, you know, I've got my style of speaking, and then you've got that fireside chat with uh, Brother Zach. But the Lord has really used to him to plant 100 churches across the world, uh, four or 5,000 in small churches. Two of my brothers are following his example and starting uh, home churches themselves, and I praise God for their example. Um, and um, with that, I just want to give God the glory. I'll tell you my prayer for abundant life. We've gone through so much over the course of the 20, 25, 30-year history of this church. Um, 6,000 people. Uh, the the, the uh, netter, probably 300 people. I pray that, that this church and this auditorium will use for the Lord's glory. And when you look around and you see seats that are empty, pray that the Lord will bring the right people here that are hungry, that we would never lower the standard of God's word just because we're trying to attract people. But we're not about quantity, we're about quality. But tell me in a Bay Area of 10 million people, there's 1,700 seats here don't need to hear the Word of God. And don't need to be on fire for God, whether they are in the, in the workplace, in school, in college. I tell you, that's absolutely needed. And we need a new generation. I'm 48 now. When I came here, I was in my 20s. And I came here because there was a vibrant young people who were coming to church here. A lot of Stanford grads were coming here. Santa Clara, Foothill College. Today, most young people stay at home. It's true, sad. There's three or four percent of the bear that Eve is interested. So we need the younger generation. Gary, how old are you? 36. He looks like 25. <laughs> looks like he looks young. We need a younger generation. So thank God he's brought him here. 
pray that the Lord will fill every empty seat here with people who are interested in the Word of God. And that is my prayer of faith every Sunday that I come here. I know you will join me in doing that. Amen. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer, and then we will dive in to the message today. Heavenly Father, I want to give you all the glory for what you've done in this church, in our lives. I want to give honor to the elders who have stayed faithful, five who have been here and the two who have been added uh, recently, Lord, and I pray that you would honor them. Speak through me today, Lord, and make me a humble man that I see the, 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 the congregation and the, those here seated see Jesus, not me, not any clever ideas. That we would see the glory of Jesus and what it means to finish this Christian race strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today I'd like to talk about the topic, finishing the Christian race strong. You know, there's a number of different pictures that are used in the Bible. One of the pictures that to me resonates, because all of us can relate to a race. We can relate to a competition. Not many people here are interested in the World Cup, but for those of you like Arshel that are in, uh, got a French connection, France won. But, you know, vive la France, okay. Uh, but the fact of the matter is Olympics, from the early days in Greece, people followed that. People can relate to that. And Paul uses that metaphor a number of different times when he describes the Christian race. Um, and I want to talk about why that's important, because most of us think in a race there's a gold, there's a silver, and a medal, uh, and a bronze medal. But every one of you can win. That's the amazing thing about the Christian race. When you read the scripture, Paul talks about all winning. All winning. Yet at the same time, he calls himself the least, the worst of all sinners. Think about that. He was humble enough. He strove to win, encouraged others to win. And it's not clear how long we'll live. Part of what I want to speak to tonight, today, this morning is, if I were to finish the next 35, 40 minutes and... Jesus were to come, or he were to take me, I would have dropped dead. And believe me, there's only two things that are going to happen in your life. You're either going to die or you're going to meet Jesus. There is no third option. Sorry to disappoint you. You're not coming back as a dog or a cat or a cockroach. There's no reincarnation. One of, those, one of these two things is going to happen. You're going to die or meet Jesus. And it's not guaranteed how long we're going to live. I've had friends of mine who have died in their 40s. I've had young people, perfectly healthy, no health condition. Jesus lived till 33 and a half. Peter lived a little longer, to his 60s, was martyred. Paul lived uh, later. John lived much later, 90. Some of the men of God more recently that I admire, David Wilkerson, died when he was 79, my dad's age. Eric Little, somebody we'll talk about today, uh, who that movie Chariots of Fire was written about. Died as, at age 42 as a missionary. So it's not guaranteed. It says there's one, there's, there's moment, the point it meant live and then to die and then comes the judgment. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there's only one life, it will be soon passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. That's, a, that's the line of a song. I hope you'll remember that. I remember that every day. It doesn't matter that I'm the chief operating officer of VMware. When I come into this building... And it's not the church isn't just a building. I'm a humble brother of Christ. And I seek to be 
the, 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 the least titles, wealth, education, all that matters, nothing in the Christian race. What matters is the spiritual condition of your heart. And there all of us are equal. You could be the poorest person sitting here. You could be the wealthiest person sitting here. It could, you could have a high title. You could have a low title. You could be a 15-year-old. You could be an 85-year-old. All are equal. You could be a man. You could be a woman. You could be any ethnicity. Everyone's God sees the secret intents of our hearts. So there's five things I want to, to, to share with you in the context of this Christian race. First off, it's amazing when you look at, at the types of things that happen towards when God talks about the end of one's life and the types of things God, um, uh, Jesus in the, in the Gospels talks about what he recognizes. First is that God desires faithfulness from us, much more so than success. To me, it's really astounding when he talks about the parable of the talents, Jesus, in Matthew 25. You know the story. There was somebody given five talents and two talents, and one talent, and the five-talent person put it to work, used it for the kingdom. The two-talent person put it to work, used it for the kingdom. The one-talent person hid it away. And it's amazing, at the end of that story, Jesus God talks about God recognizing the servant who was faithful. And he says these words, which we all know very well, but I want you to listen to it carefully, because sometimes you just read the scripture and it glosses over it. Well done, good, and successful slave. Is that what it says? Well done, good, and faithful slave. Well done, good, and faithful slave. So it doesn't matter whatever success you've had in life. It could, you could have been a failure in everything that you, you tried at. In the world sense. But in the heavenly sense, you were faithful. And God recognized that. I remember that. I said, Lord, when I meet you... It doesn't matter anything, all the degrees that I've achieved in this world, any accomplishments, anything that I've recognized for. What matters is I've been good and faithful. And how many here can be faithful? Is that possible for everybody? Everybody here. It's an equal opportunity for everybody to be faithful. Because you know what? Where's faithfulness tested? In the secret place. Nobody's watching. And you're tempted to look a certain way. And you know the scriptures, it says, flee, young man. Flee is not just walk. You're running. Okay? For brothers, that's a good challenge. Maybe for sisters, it's something else. You're tempted to gossip. You get two, 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 three of you together. Flee away from that. That's where faithfulness is tested. When no one's watching. And then you begin to store more and more of that divine nature. So I praise God for the fact that in this race, everyone is faithful. My own personal testimony is I've not been called to the same ministry that my dad was. My dad was called when he was 20 to, to serve the Lord for him, to plant churches. The Lord's called me to a corporate job. But I have heroes in the Bible that worked and served God. People like Daniel, people like Joseph, many others through the scriptures and many afterwards who stayed faithful to God. And I suspect 98%, 99% of you here have a job, are working in the workplace someplace, like me. A few God has called to a full-time vocation. I praise God for that. That's okay. But for the bulk of us, we will be in companies like VMware, like others. That, and the Lord has called you to be faithful. I've talked about this a number of times. I want to just, I've shared this that's all available on YouTube about being a Daniel in the workplace. I call it Dare to be a Daniel. 
I've talked about ten values. I just want to pick five of them that I will share with you very quickly. You're welcome to refer to the, uh, the longer message that's on YouTube if it's encouragement to you. Number one, these are the five that I seek to remember every single day that I'm at work. Five of ten. Uh, number one, my life is vapor and I'm a citizen of heaven. Remember, as you go into work, as you leave, your citizenship is not on this earth. What does that mean? It's sort of like you're deployed on duty to Iraq or Afghanistan. And you're longing to come back home and your home is not VMware. Your home is heaven. Maybe your home is also the family God's given you because God's given you um, responsibility for, that, for your wife and for your children. To ensure they're also, the circle's not broken when you get to heaven. That is your citizenship. Number two, everything that I will do, I will work hard. If the Lord grants me success, that's great. I will fall on my knees in humility, praying for faith, grace to be faithful. If there's one prayer I had for this morning, Lord, keep me humble. It's so easy when we have any form of visibility or success to be proud. Number three, I will be a servant leader, building on what I described earlier. Not seeking my own, honoring God, encouraging those around me. I'll talk more about encouragement. Those who you work for, those of you who are a manager, have people who work for you. Some of you, that's sort of a 360. You have people above you, you have people who are peers, some people who are below you. In all those places, think about if you could work, every, come in every day and say, you know what, I'm going to be an encouragement to, to everybody who interacts with me in the way in which I talk to them, the way I encourage them. Number four, I will be careful with all my words and actions. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard stories of people tell me, you know what, this person is a senior person in the company, is Christian, but you wouldn't know it the way the person cusses. They get angry in a meeting. Four-letter words come out of their mouth. Their actions, sadly so, some of the people who are the worst representatives of Christianity are so-called Christians. And the way in which they treat finances, and the way in which they treat their marriage relationships. And this is public display in corporate America. Number five, I will be on fire for God, seeking to be a change agent, never satisfied with the status quo. And you know what? God is faithful. When you honor God, he will be faithful to you. If there is one verse that I've held through my 25 years in the workplace that I've held as a, as a covenant between me and God, okay? It's not seek ye first the kingdom of God and all this wealth and prosperity will be added to you. That's not it. Sadly, that's become the, the narrative today for a lot of Christians, health and wealth and prosperity. I don't believe in that one bit. But there's so many. First off, that verse says all that you need will be added to you. Okay? Secondly, I've held this promise. Daniel 1 and 20 talks about when these four men, Daniel and his three friends, were faithful. In that verse, which was the Old Testament, it says God made them ten times smarter. I said, Lord, I'm not asking to be ten times smarter. But I'm going to ask you, because I'm faithful to you, to make me ten times more productive. Imagine if you could hold a promise, you could hold God to a promise and said, Lord, I need your help today because what's going to take somebody else 10 hours, I'd like to get done in one hour. Do you think the Lord can honor that? Absolutely can. You know what? You may not even need one hour. What, you, what somebody else gets done in five, if you get done in one, and that's what the, the God can honor you. God can, can bring you that special grace. His grace is sufficient for every need. So you don't have to go through stress. Maybe you're avoiding all the other distractions of social media at work. You're getting your work done. That's the way in which God can be faithful. So remember, brothers and sisters, the most important thing that God seeks from us is not success 
in your workplace. If God gives you success, that's great. But I'll tell you what, there's going to be just as many failures. The most important thing is to be faithful. And there, every one of you are equal. Everyone. Even the mother who may not be working and is taking care of the children. I'll tell you, when I get to heaven, there are going to be many mothers who are ahead of me. Including my mother. Uh, because she's been faithful. So don't look at the world's uh, sense of success. Look at God's eyes of faithfulness. Number two. There is a prize. And you know what? All of us can win. All of us can win. This is where it's different from the Olympics. Philippians 3.14, it says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is Paul who persecuted Christians, who was considered himself the worst of all sinners for all that he had done. He was like a terrorist. He took so-called Christians and killed them. If you want to call that, use that word today, it would be a terrorist. That was Paul, the worst of all terrorists, saying there is a prize. Now that I'm converted, I'm going to seek to, to, to win that prize. And then he goes on to tell this church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. This is an awesome passage. Do you, know, do you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you, he's talking about all of Corinth, the whole church, you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way, not beating the air. Read more, but I discipline my body, make it a slave. Now, if I tell you more about the church in Corinth, and you can read this from Acts and Corinthians. This was one of the most carnal, immoral churches. Look at all the stuff that was going on in the church of Corinth. And he's telling this church, if this church was in the Bay Area, you probably wouldn't go there. Okay? Given all the immorality and everything that was going on in this church, he tells this church, you can win. Is there hope for any of us when he stole that to the church in Corinth? Absolutely. It doesn't matter where you are today. The fact of the matter is, get on the track and start running. And God can make the greatest, greatest hopes possible. You've got to get on the track and start running. And the fact of the matter, this is where, to me, this is amazing. All of us can win. This is not, there's one gold medal, and everybody can be at the end of this, provided you're faithful, provided you endure. And that's the third message I want to leave with you today. The beauty of aspect of this is that running is not about how you start. There are a lot of people who start races, they don't finish well. It's about how you finish. Now also remember, you don't know when you're going to die or when Jesus is going to come. So if you live your life thinking, that's okay, I've got a few more days, weeks, months, because it doesn't matter how I finish. If you live with that type of heart, God may take you. But if you consider the past, and your past has been stumbling and falling... You get up. Run with endurance. I'd like to play this video from Chariots of Fire. We could roll a video of 90 seconds from this great movie. And this is a story of Eric Little and one of the race races as he ran. Let's play the video. Gentlemen, get your marks. Get set. 
up. Can you believe it? His head's not back yet. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that same story happened, it's part of the movie, but happened again in 2016. There was an athlete named Mo Farah who was a Somalian um, who ran the 10,000 meters in 2016. And in the Olympics, I mean, that was a, a trial race in Scotland. In the Olympics, you fall down, you're pretty much history because you lose every second is so precious, as you know. So he falls down, it's a 10,000 meters, which is about a 20, 25 laps around um, the track. Around, I think, uh, lap 9 or 10, he falls down. Uh, tripped over one of his countrymen. Gets back up with every lap he starts gaining. Gaining, gaining. Um, with 16 laps to go and ends up with a good 50 yards ahead of uh, the competition. And my brother and sister, the, the lesson in that example is it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And God can give you grace if you've stumbled. I'm here to tell you, any person here who's feeling discouraged, get back up. Get back on the track and run. It doesn't matter what the past has been. It matters what you do from today onwards to give your life for Jesus. Begin a first step. The longer you stand on the sidelines, the more you're given uh, the devil reason to glory. Get back on the track. And that story of Eric Little is amazing. If you, the, the chariots of fire came out in the 1980s. But it's an amazing story of a, of a man who stood true for God and his convictions. He refused uh, to run on Sundays. That was his conviction. Uh, and it turned out the heats for the 100 meters, this is for the person who's the celebrated fastest athlete in the world. Um, he couldn't take part in that heat in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And his, all the people around him are like, listen, I mean, you can go to church after that. Why do you have to be so particular about your principles here? But he stood firm. Um, one of the other athletes who was so moved by his conviction said, listen, I'm running the 400 meters. That heat and finals not in the, on a Sunday I'll give up my spot for you because I'm just so amazed by your conviction. He ran a 400 meters that he'd never really run ever before. As he got up to the starting blocks of the 400 meters, another athlete from a different country, I think in the United States, gave him a little piece of paper. He says, listen, your story is so amazing. In the good book, it says these words, those who honor me, I will honor. And it's actually a verse from 1 Samuel 2.30. He ran that race and won the 400 meters, which is incredible. Very rare that a 100-meter athlete can actually win something longer distance. Um, he went on after that 
to be a, he could have run the Olympics a second time in 1928, but decided to go and be a missionary in China, uh, serve the rest of his life. Um, his family rarely saw him. He had brain cancer in his early 40s and died uh, during the war at 42 in China. I think Eric Little is someone we're going to see in heaven because he took a stand and he was faithful. He, he ran the race and he finished strong. And that could be every one of you. And how do we do that? Just answers again in the Bible. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, three things. Number one, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so and easily entangles you. Number two, run with endurance, like we saw in the video, the race that is set before us. Number three, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, um, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So the first thing we have to do, and you'll see this later, we're having baptisms today, is we have to let go. We have to turn around. Lord, I am sinning. I am sinning. I am sinning. I'm going to turn around. That is what baptism is, to, is about. Repentance. If, we're, if we continue to hold on to the entanglement, and the, we, it's hard for us to turn around. So that's the first thing God wants us to do. He wants you to give up. Give up the sin that's entangling you. Give up that bad habit. Give up that friendship. Give up everything that's entangling you. And how do you run with endurance? You set your eyes on Jesus. It's just as easy as that. And then we know these, the, the words that come to us. With those who wait upon the Lord will what? They will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. What's the rest of the verse? They will run. They will walk and not faint. Think about that. There are songs written to that. That's the testimony when you fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a beautiful, beautiful picture we see um, in the New Testament. When Jesus does something that is almost impossible to do. Actually, it is impossible to do, which is walk on water. Defy the laws of gravity. We know that story. Jesus walks on the water, the disciples see that and says, wow, you've got this supernatural power, I can do it too. So what does Peter do? Gets on the water and actually begins to walk. He also defies the power of gravity. And then what happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus. And what does he begin to notice around him? The waves, the winds. That's a picture of the circumstances. The people around us, everything that's seeking to us. Oh, Lord, I can't really set my eyes on you because I've got this person who's trying to uh, take me down at work. They're political. Oh, I've got all this environment stuff. The temptations are so strong, I can't set my eyes on That's the winds and the waves. And then I love what Jesus does. Let's read in Matthew 14, 20 to 31. Matthew 14, 20 to 31. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and he began to sink. And this is what I love. When my kids start to have stuff that's not going well, what's the natural tendency uh, to go? You go and lecture them. It would have been very easy for Jesus to say, listen, I told you not to stop looking at me. What does Jesus do? Right away. Peter says, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand took a hold of him, and of course he did get the lecture later. <laughs> Ye of little faith, why did you doubt? 
Okay? Our tendency is human parents. I told you so. I told you not to do that. Why'd you do it? All Jesus is asking of us, when you are falling, even before you're falling, is do what? Immediately look to Jesus. Don't wait a second. Immediately look to Jesus and say what? Lord, save me. Lord, I've got this temptation that's coming at me so hard. Save me. Lord, I've got this person who's coming at me so hard. Lord, save me. You'll find the fan of Jesus. And if you were the person who was going in the direction of sin, you'll get the lecture later, the lesson later. But the most important thing that we need to do in that time when we are tempted to fall is well before we get to the stage of falling and saying, Lord, save me. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus will be right there with you. And you know what? There was the picture of Jesus and, and Peter defying the law of gravity. I will tell you, sin is a lot more than the law of gravity. It's harder to overcome sin, okay, than just the law, the, the, these miracles. And if God could do that. But it takes listening to that voice of God at the point of God or reaching out. Let me give you another story, again from the Bible. I tell the story to my twin boys. Because uh, they're at that stage where they're both competitive and it's easy to, to get angry with the other person. There's a beautiful story in, in Genesis about Cain, of Ab- Cain and Abel. And as we know, Genesis 4, 3 to 8. Just two innocent boys. Okay, They bring their offering to the Lord. Genesis 4, verse 3. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord and the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of his firstlings the uh, flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, and for Cain's offering he had no regard. Maybe some reason of the heart, or maybe how much he gave, who knows. But for whatever reason, God favored this person a little bit more. It's so easy. God favors this person over somebody else, and we get what? Jealous. Yeah, that's what Cain got. Cain became very angry. His countenance fell, and, and the Lord warned him. This is exactly what God warns you. Right before you're starting to start to sense irritability, you're upset with somebody else. It might be complete their, their fault, or it may not be. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, here's the warning. Sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to possess you. But what's the, what's the promise here? You must master it. Romans 6.14, God, sin shall not have dominion over you, but you uh, will overcome sin. Sadly, we know the rest of the story. Cain does not listen to that. The next, next thing, what happens to the story? Cain murders Abel. Starts with sin crouching at your door, ends with, with murder. But I'll tell you what. If you can fix your eyes on Jesus, the same promise that he has given through the gospel is going to be available to every one of us, brothers and sisters. And that's what I, I seek uh, for every one of, of you. Um, I will tell you that if you can start saying in your life, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? You know, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In the initial parts of our life, we are following Jesus. We're following others. But there comes a point in life as you mature and as you press into perfection that you become an example to others. 
then you can point to it and say, this is how I handle that situation. You're still maybe tempted to stumble. And that's my fourth point, which is pressing on to perfection. So we talked about running with endurance, which is the temptation comes at you, you're stumbling, maybe you've even fallen. But God's purpose for our life is to run without stumbling. Will we ever be free of sin? No, but we're perfecting, we're getting more and more and more like Jesus. Purifying ourselves just like he is pure. So one by one by one, areas of our life become more and more pure. And that's the promise of this Christian race, which is we can actually become perfect over time. Hebrews 6.1, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, okay, that is just the first message that you heard when you came in, which is forgiveness of sins. Uh, the author here is saying there's a lot more than just that initially I've been saved and I'm on my way to heaven. Let us press on to maturity. So this is like that marathon run. And this is where the analogy of a sprint race is not completely apt. We're running a marathon. And it starts to get better. You're actually improving your time uh, per mile as you get laying a foundation of repentance from death, from dead works, and a faith towards God. And this is the promise, brothers and sisters, that every one of you and us, me, can have, which is that nature of ours gets changed. The nature of, of us is naturally to fall, to seek sin. Think of it like the heart of a pig. What does the pig gravitate to? To dirt, constantly, right? Imagine you had a narrow race. In fact, um, Jesus says the, the way is narrow. This path between here and the door is very narrow. Okay? And on either side, not you people, but imagine, on either side of this was lots of dirt. Okay? And you're walking the narrow way and you have a pig here and it's on chains. Okay? With chains, it can kind of maybe you keep it from going there. The moment you take the chains off, the pig's immediately going to go to the dirt. Imagine you had that same narrow race and you have a cat. Right? And you push the cat in the dirt. What's the cat immediately do? Gets back out, licks itself, wants to stay clean. The promise, brothers and sisters, when you have come to Jesus, you've confessed your sin, part of the act of baptism is that I want to give up that will, is he can change your heart from the heart of a pig to the heart of that cat. So, Lord, I don't need to desire that anymore. Yes, I'm still going to be tempted. But I see that the more wonderful glory is serving you, my Savior, who died on the cross for me. That was the biggest debt anybody could pay. And I want to serve you all the days of my life. I want to love you. And the passing pleasures of sin. It's really that the tin, sin does taste good. It's, it's a pleasure. It's a passing pleasure. But you begin to see it for its passing pleasure. And you fix your eyes on Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Lord gives you victory. God gives you victory. Over stage one. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted there, but I've conquered that area. So you're not getting angry anymore, but your attitudes might still be a little impure. And God gives you light on that, and you can conquer that. That's pressing on to perfection. And if you believe, there's so much, so much unfortunately, of what we're not able to achieve because we don't have faith. Peter could have walked on water. The same power that overcame gravity... God can give us to overcome sin. So we don't have to fall in area by area. You might be still tempted. So you see light, you see light in one area, 
and God gives you light in all of the various different areas of your life. And as it says in 1 John 3, to 3, 3, 3, we purify ourselves as he is pure, and one day when we see him, we're perfect. But it's part of that progression. Imagine if you've lived your entire life just like um, that we watched that movie, falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up. Likely, you know, if Eric Little had fallen down five or ten times that race, it would be hard for him. Some point in time, you stop being interested in running the race. God can give you the desire in your heart. This is not about works. God changed my nature. Without his power, we can do nothing. Without that power, that supernatural power, there was no way Peter could have walked the water. And that same supernatural power, the power of the Holy Spirit is available to every one of you and every one of us. And the fifth and final point that I want to make is love God's people. Make your family the family of God. It's very easy, you know, like I said, we live around various different parts of the barrier. We have friends. We have, we have certain personalities. We'll get along with certain. That's okay. That's understandable. But I will tell you, it's most likely when you get to heaven, the folks you see are probably not everybody you work with. Unless they are saved, they're converted, they've given their life to Jesus. Not clear where their eternal destiny is. And I will tell you the, the thing to me that has been my saving grace through the 48 years is that the Lord has been merciful to put God's family around me. There is no way that I can enter the kingdom on the coattails of Zach Poonin. Love to, but I can't. That's not the case. You can't. Each one's got to enter the, the eye of the needle. But for the 18 years that I grew up uh, in Bangalore, India, and since then, as I came in, as an immigrant to this country, the Lord has, I lived on the East Coast for six years, and uh, since 1991 here in the barrier, uh, and um, the Lord has put incredible, incredible believers in my life, many of whom are here, that I'm incredibly grateful for. Learn to love God's people. Why? Because that's the heart of Jesus. Let's look at the scriptures. John 13:1. This is Jesus just before he's about to die. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, those were not just the many thousands that he had an opportunity to preach to, 5,000, maybe 10, 15,000, thousands and thousands, but the 11, 12 that he'd given him. He loved them to the very end. And I believe the mark of a man and woman of God is as they get older, their love for God's people just becomes true. They want to hang out with God's people. They, they enjoy that a lot more than just anything that's, it's okay, you've got to have your colleagues and your friends, but you've got to seek and enjoy the fellowship and enjoy building that body. For me, my desire is that every one of you, not just be people who come in here on Sunday mornings to hear the Word of God, but will be part of building the body of Christ. We made it a uh, part of our own uh, marriage commitment when Kathy and I got married 13 years ago, that we were going to open our home to be a place where the saints could feel completely at home. We were going to start a growth group, even if it was inconvenient for us, so that it could be a witness not just to us, and our marriage, but also to our children. I know many of you are doing the same thing. If you're not part of a growth group, 
where outside of just the Sunday mornings, you're able to participate in building the local body in Acts chapter 2, chapter 2. You're missing something, brother and sister. I would encourage you to do it. But in that growth group of the 13 years that we've been in Los Altos and many of our growth group members are here this morning, the Lord has brought so many different people. Some have gone different other places in the country. Some are not with us anymore, but in different other churches. That's okay. Um, And so many different circumstances. Ten years ago, we had a couple. Some of you know the sister who was here. Her husband was fighting a tremendous amount of depression. We had no idea. If you saw him and her, you wouldn't know it at all. He was the most happiest person, sat in a little spot on the couch every Wednesday or Thursday. One sad day, we got a call that he had committed suicide. Member of Abundant Life. Life. Sad, fighting depression, sad mental sickness. I believe he'd given his life to Jesus, but was fighting that sickness. We got together that week, and we just wept and prayed for that sister. She's gone on now with the life. She's moved to a different part of the country, married again, has children. We're happy for her. But so much of what the Lord has brought us through, and what we've sought to do is to humbly every Wednesday or Thursday get back into the Word of God and use that as our way uh, of loving God's people. So whatever the Lord's called you to, maybe it's Safari Kids, maybe it's the growth group, maybe it's another ministry here, find a way by which you can love God's people. And I will tell you, that is a whole lot more important than anything the world can give you. Because when we get to heaven, that's where we're going to be around. We're going to be around the saints. Isn't that true? And God will give you the ability to do something that I think is very, very vitally one of the most important gifts of the Spirit. Uh, fruits of the uh, gifts of the Spirit. When you think about the gifts of the Spirit, there's so many different ones that are talked about. And people think, oh, it's the teaching gift, it's the preaching gift, it's healing, it's speaking in tongues. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, and I want to end on this note, I want to talk about a gift that everyone in this room can seek to have. Okay? And it's going to surprise you a little bit. So stay Stay close, pay, pay close attention. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 to 3. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may do what? Prophesy. Oh my goodness, what does prophesy mean? All of us think, well, it's to foretell the future, to stand up and say something. Nope. Let's look at what the scripture says prophecy is. For anyone who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But... To one who prophesies, three simple things. Speaks to men and women for edification, for exhortation, and consolation. Another translation in place of consolation says encouragement. So I would tell you, if you can do three E's, encourage, exhort, edify, you've got the most important spiritual gift, which is prophecy. As, a, as according to Scripture... Uh, How many here can encourage? Can anybody here encourage? Everybody here. Level playing field again. All of you can win. All of you can encourage. In fact, I like to read those three in sort of reverse order. Encourage is something that's sort of the base. It's like the the, the lowest part of the onion. And you go to the dictionary definition of encourage. It's the support. It's the hope. It's to give confidence. Exhort is to strongly encourage. Pastor Brian likes to use this. Sometimes you give a hug and then you kick on the kick the back. That's strongly encouraged because you have a relationship with that brother or sister where you can correct them a little bit. Edify is to instruct to improve. That's sort of strongly exhorting. 
It's almost like a coach and you have an even better relationship, perhaps with your children, where you can correct them. Every one of you will have, be a spiritual parent to one person, certainly to your own children, but God may give you others. Encourage, exhort, edify. And if you can just start with the base level, encouragement, I will tell you you've got the greatest gift. Can everybody do encouragement? Is that possible? Can we aspire to that? I'd like to end with this video. I think I've shared this before a couple of years ago at Abundant Life. But this is a beautiful scene. I love sports. I love athletics. I love races. I love the Olympics. This was a race of two. Well, it's a, it's a triathlon. Triathlons, you know, you, you run, you swim, you bike. And the uh, ending event is of a triathlon is a runner, running. And these are two brothers from the UK, the Brownlee brothers. And I want you to watch the ending of this particular triathlon in absolutely, you know, searing heat in Mexico where, where they're running. Let's roll the video of the Brownlee brothers. Now, Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here. Matt, is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee, and they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third, but Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness Praise me. Praise God. What an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. Picture that is. You know, the Christian walk is that type of race. It's not, we're winning as a team. It's not competing one against the other. The Lord's going to bring you one other brother or sister alongside you. I will tell you the first, once you have perfected um, your own you know, walk with the Lord and you're growing, God's going to bring another circle in front of you. Usually, most often it's your family. You have a responsibility, husband to wife, wife to husband, to your children, to walk alongside them. That's the next circle. And the circle after that is the church where the Lord places you, or maybe the workplace. And God opens incredible kind of doors. That's amazing to me. I'm very public, as many of you know, about my faith. Not in a way that's 
seeking to use every opportunity at a big all-hands meeting to proselytize. That's not where God's called me. But I'm public. On my Twitter feed, it says, I love Jesus Christ. Uh, this message will be available on YouTube, and I can tell you probably a number of people who know me in the workplace will probably watch it. I get looks from people sometimes. You know, he's one of those holy types. You know, I'll, I'll stand for Jesus, right? But um, but I will tell you, it's amazing the number of times I've had emails come to me. Almost one a week. Someone says, you know, I'm not your same faith. I'm a Muslim. Oh, I don't have any faith, but I am so impressed that you stand for conviction. And I give glory to God. A Christian sends me an email and says, man, I wish I had your courage to stand um, boldly because I'm sure you must get persecuted for that. So far, the Lord's protected me. There's not been any, um, you know, but the most important thing, I've shared that video at my workplace about how everyone can be an encouragement. And when you encourage somebody else, brothers and sisters, the door opens. I can't tell you the number of times I have just said four or five words to somebody after they've shared some pain that's in their life. Can I pray for you? Not right there. Maybe they don't want to accept that. But they know I'm going to do that later on. Sometimes someone will send me a text message saying, Hey, no, I don't have any faith, but I know you're going to church this morning. Can you pray for that person upstairs? Because he's probably going to listen to, to you rather than me. They got the message. That's an atheist who sent me that text message a few months ago. God can use you. Right? So let me summarize the five things we talked about today before we wrap up. I'll put that up on the, state, on the screen. Number one, God desires faithfulness from all of you. When we end our life, whether we die or we're taken up to meet Jesus, may it be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter how much success you have. It doesn't matter if you're a failure today. Well done, good and faithful servant. Number two, there's a prize. Don't go through life thinking, well, it's good to be down in the dumps. There is a prize. And guess what? All of you can win that. All of us can win that. Number three, if you're down, get up. Run with endurance. Don't let the devil be victorious because uh, he's rejoicing in the fact that you're done. Number four, when you're up and running now, don't just, you know, ah, it's okay, I fell. It's okay to run with endurance. Now press on to perfection. One of the things that's helped me is reading the Bible. My dad's written this book called Through the Bible and all the messages that are verse by verse and has, has helped me tremendously. It's all available on YouTube for free. Whatever your way is, read the Bible. That's one way in which you can press into perfection. Every single day, get a little bit more of uh, the Word of God. Number five, love God's people. Make the people of God your family. And I will tell you, God will... Um, Take care of you. He'll take care of you. My testimony is, it doesn't matter about health or wealth. It matters what's most important, what's stored up in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for every brother and sister here, young and old, all ages and stages. And thank you for this church, Lord, what you have done over the last 25 years and what you are going to do if before you come back, Lord. I pray for everyone who is here that they would give their life to Jesus today. And if they haven't, Lord, that today would be the day that they decide to run the Christian race. 
If, you're, if, 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 if someone's already running, but they're stumbling and they're falling, they're discouraged, Lord, comfort them, encourage them, find somebody else that can come alongside them and help them to run with endurance. And for those of us who are running with endurance, Lord, as we press into perfection, help us not be selfish to find somebody else that we can encourage around us, Lord. That we find another brother or sister around us that we can encourage. We may not live our lives in just self-centeredness, that we build a body in these last days where in the Silicon Valley of 10 million people, there are very few who really want to live for God. They're more interested in their intellect and their wallet. I pray that you would make this church and this people one who are on fire for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Michael Davidson, and here's what's going on at Abundant Life. Get ready for the Global Leadership Summit, which takes place on Thursday, August 9th, and Friday, August 10th, right here at ALCF via satellite. This year's theme is Everyone Has Influence, which ties nicely to ALCF's goal of equipping you to positively influence others in your community and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And any place is the right place, whether it's at home, on the job, at school or at church. You have a great opportunity to share your personal testimony, influence others, and help lead them towards a new walk with the Lord. This year's event includes 14 summit faculty from the business, religious, and nonprofit sectors, including T.D. Jakes, Sheila Heen, Danny Meyer, and Carla Harris, just to name a few. Make plans to join the ALCF family along with over 400,000 Christians in more than 135 countries and experience a unique blend of vision, inspiration, and practical skills that you can apply immediately. To sign up or to serve, go to alcf.net slash gls18 and use a special rate priority code for regular ALCF attendees. And speaking of making a positive impact, from July 8th through the 13th, Joni and Friends Bay Area is holding its annual family retreat for families affected by disability at Mission Springs 2 in Scotts Valley. The event is a great opportunity to provide a week of respite for the entire family. To learn more about serving as a short-term missionary, go to joniandfriends.org slash bayarea Contact Jason Rice at jrice at joniandfriends.org or call 925-361-8672. Volunteer training is July 8th and 9th and the cost is $450, which covers accommodations and food. Most people are willing to put effort into something that means a lot to them, like tending a beloved garden. You love it, so you're likely to work at it, right? Marriage is the same way, and thankfully, there are many tools that can be used to help stay connected with your spouse. Let's unpack some of these tools over dinner, dessert, and some great fellowship at the next couple's night out. Tools for your marriage toolbox. The event takes place on Saturday, July 21st from 5.30 to 8 p.m. in the fellowship hall. The cost is $40 per couple, child care is provided, and pre-registration is required. Sign up today at alcf.net slash signups or through the ALCF app. 
on Sunday, July 22nd at 1145 a.m. You'll have a great opportunity to reach out to our neighboring communities with the love of Jesus by preparing food, clothing, and toiletry packages in ALCF's kitchen. Then going out and ministering to those living on the streets or temporarily residing at the First Step Family Shelter. And no, we didn't forget about our young adults. If you're 18 to 30-ish and looking to go deeper in your walk with a community of young adult believers, or if you're not a believer but would like to learn about God's plan for your life, join our young adults group on the second and fourth Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. in the chapel or after service on the first and third Sundays in room three. You'll have a chance to hang out in a relaxed environment filled with games, events, speakers, informal discussions, and much more. Now, these are just some of the upcoming events and activities. But to stay connected to everything AOCF, check out our website, app, bi-weekly emails, newsletter, and social media. And remember, at AOCF, our goal is to make a difference in your life so that you can make a difference in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. Or, as we like to say around here, abundant life exists to make a better you for a better world.